Good morning. Um, please turn with your Bible to Acts chapter 15. If you're following along in the Bible I've provided for you in the chair pocket, it's page 981. If it's on your phone or something else. So Acts chapter 15. My name is Patrick Havens, one of the pastors here on our preaching team. So you've been meeting different people as we, as David has organized our preaching team, David Sunday. So it's a privilege to speak God's word with you today. We're now in the, our series of Book of Acts, almost in the middle in Acts 15, but definitely a central passage. It's, as a matter of fact, many people have commented it's a watershed chapter, a turning point, because it deals specifically with the question, a theological question, who can be saved? How can you be saved? That's at the heart and essence of this. And it deals with it in a really a dramatic fashion with a council, a group council, really profound chapter. I'm, I'm going to read the whole chapter, including the first five verses of chapter 16. So it's about a five-minute reading. So Got to buckle in and, and pay attention. But it's an, it's an all-star cast of characters. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are there. There's a, a rogue group of uh, missionaries teaching uh, their message. And then you're going to hear from Peter and James. And they're going to write a letter and send it back to these churches. And, and it's going to result in a, a real profound thankfulness. So uh, we're hearing scripture. This is the first real general assembly of the church uh, as, as I read it. So I'm going to be reading Acts 15 from verse 1 through chapter 16, verse 5. Let's hear God's word as I read. Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks? that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. The whole assembly became silent 
And listen to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written. After these saints, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these saints known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day, he has read aloud in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, and ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these saints. Farewell. So they were sent off and went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, who was called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had a sharp disagreement that they, that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, 
the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Thanks be to God for his word. Let me pray. Lord, please let the words of my mouth, the meditation of all our hearts be honoring to you. Lord, may we just treasure all that you are for us. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Conflict is inevitable. Go without saying, right? Maybe even had one on your way here. It's part of life. Conflicts are part of the nature of just living in a fallen world. But when conflicts are dealt with through principle, like peacemaking principles, they can often be very insightful. So if you had a dispute with someone and you worked it out well, your differences, you might come away thinking, I just dived the depths of knowing that person better. I'm so grateful we worked this out. Well, this major conflict in the early church resulted in clarifying the gospel. It proved a blessing and something you would take for granted had we not had this passage. It clearly presents to us what is at stake on the gospel. It's, I mentioned this earlier, but it's, and you could call it the theological center of the book of Acts because it answers this pressing question, how can people be saved? And it clarifies it through a conflict. That was the, the means of which of coming to this. Now, this issue was brewing for some time with the Jewish Christians. Re- remember, Jews grew up their whole lives hearing that Gentiles were unclean. The rabbinic material at the time described how Gentiles could be converted um, and join the community. They would have requirements of studying the law, being circumcised, baptism, uh, embrace the Jewish dietary laws, etc. <clears throat> and so this teaching was still deeply ingrained in some of the Christian, the Jewish Christians who were in Jerusalem. And so as, as news spread to Jerusalem about the growth of the church among Gentiles, it was concerning to some of these men in that Jerusalem church. It was concerning them that they, they would hear the stories of people becoming Christians without becoming Jewish. They, they were having a hard time fathoming Gentiles, Christians, remaining and keeping their identity. <clears throat> they would, you know, they, were, they would stay, what? Gentiles are being welcomed in their Gentileness? No, this can't, they couldn't fathom this and it created a conflict. John Stott said this group that was opposed to this Imagine the gospel only as a reform movement within Judaism. That is good news for the world. They viewed Christianity as a Jewish, a Jewish sect, not as the international family of God that, that he had planned. So some men, not sanctioned missionaries uh, from the Jerusalem church. Now, that's what it said in verse 24. These, these guys left without our permission. We didn't send them to you. 
So these some men, they went all the way north to preach a different message than what Paul and Barnabas were preaching. And their message added one rule. Verse 1. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. These unauthorized men from Judea were upsetting the Gentiles, disturbing them, troubling their hearts. I mean, you can imagine. Here you are a new believer in Antioch or up north, and you heard the gospel preached to you that all who receive Jesus Christ will be cleansed. He's holy. He'll cleanse you. You get near him, he'll cleanse you. You get him in his life, you're changed. You're a new creature in Christ. And you've just been hearing about Jesus. All you need is Jesus, the Messiah. And you're excited about this. And then come to this group. They say, oh, not quite. Not, 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 not exactly. You actually still need to be circumcised. You can imagine what the men's Bible site was thinking. Like, oh, my God. You're going to be the first one? This is like crazy. What are you thinking? I'm, t- I'm over 40 years old. <clears throat> So they had this one rule they presented. And of course, Jews have over 600 commandments. So who knows what this was an entry into, into many other aspects of Jewish culture to be accepted by them. So there was more at stake here. But even the smallest saying, look how Paul and Barnabas, not only was it upsetting to the Gentiles, look how Paul and Barnabas responded. Verse 2, it says they engage them in serious argument and debate. Yeah, I mean, imagine yelling, right? I mean, they were yelling or maybe heated, heated discussion. Uh, they're not going to let this go by easily. But it didn't prevail. So the church in Antioch sent a delegation to the apostles and elders in the Jerusalem church. This became that, this first great assembly of the church. And really, three talks were given. So you had Paul and Barnabas reporting the church And then you have Peter speaking and then James. In Peter's speech, he spoke of the story of how God made the choice through him to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We read that in Acts 10 through 11. Peter witnessed God granting faith and the Holy Spirit just as for them. Peter said, God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. In verse 10, Peter said, This group, this is what he said this group was doing with their one rule. He said they were putting a yoke on the disciples. Peter, remember what Peter's recalling Jesus' words. Remember what Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is light. Jesus was comparing his yoke to the yoke of the Pharisees, a burden, a heavy burden. You know, the Pharisees would heap it on and then not left a finger to help you. But Jesus is the opposite. Those who come to him find his yoke is lighter. Not that it's easier, not that he dismisses obeying God, but that he's accomplished it for us. He's carried the yoke for us. So the burden is light because he's done the work in our place. And this whole conflict clarifies this one point. In the the key verse is verse 11. This is what this clarifies. We believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. There it is. 
That's what the apostles are arguing for. For we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of our own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The letter of Galatians provides a helpful background to Acts 15. Galatians was written before Acts 15. So after the first missionary journey, Paul wrote the letter of Galatians, and then this council is happening. So Galatians is a helpful background. And in Galatians, we read this. Paul said this, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. He said that. If you get yourself circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. It's so important for us to deeply know this truth. Jesus plus anything is, a, is to lose the gospel. Add anything to Jesus and you've lost, you reversed everything that the gospel is teaching. The true gospel is Jesus plus nothing is everything you need to be right with the holy God. <clears throat> Salvation is not Christ plus religious observance. Salvation is not Christ plus taking the sacraments. Salvation is not Christ plus good works. The foundation of our relationship with God is Christ alone. And in Galatians, Paul said this. He said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the works of the law, Christ died for no purpose. So he actually said, you can, you'll nullify the grace of God. Now remind yourself, verse 11 says, we're saved by grace. What is grace? Grace is God's un, unlimited kindness toward us, towards people, regardless of what we deserve. Grace is his unmerited favor. <clears throat> That's what grace is. You want to nullify the grace of God? You want to nullify this free gift of salvation? It's by thinking, I can earn it. It's by thinking, I can do one thing that's more acceptable to God. That nullifies it. You lose the gospel. You're adding to Jesus. Stay away from it. Defend the truth. Understand that that's what's so pressing. They were arguing about this. Like, you cannot add anything to your salvation. Jesus alone is your hope, your only hope. And that's a serious issue. That's still pressing today. Uh, many years ago, my wife and I were on staff with Camps Crusade for Christ crew, and we were campus, uh, like a campus chaplain office in Northwestern University, and once a week, we would go down to UIC in the city, and we would do evangelism on the campus, walk in the cafeterias, this is the 90s, it's, you could walk around, we'd talk to students, you'd <clears throat> engage them with surveys, gospel conversation. One guy I, I was meet with was very interested. And we were meeting, we're having lunch every week talking about the gospel. I thought he was really close to receive Christ. And then one day he comes and he says, hey, I met this other guy and said, I need to be baptized in order to be a Christian. Matter of fact, I need to be baptized in his church. So I was trying to understand this. So he's, <clears throat> he's saying, so it's more than just you were commanded to be baptized. He's saying it's necessary that you're baptized to be saved. He says, yes. He says, it's necessary to be baptized, you're saved in his church. He said, yes, I was like, I was upset. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> we got to go back to read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is what we just did the week before. <clears throat> but this is where he was, and every week we'd, we'd discuss this, but it really upset him and threw him off. And you know, at one point <clears throat> he just said to me, hey, I'm just going to pause on this kind of discussion for a while. I just want to step out of the Bible study. 
I got to think through this. So it really upset him, and Lord willing, he found the Lord through this. But, it, <clears throat> but this is why we're wanting to guard the gospel, because it isn't true that if you add anything to thinking that's your salvation, you, Christ is of no value to you. you. You lose the gospel. That's why it's so central. So imagine a good doctor prescribing the medicine you need and prescribed it to you, but then someone else comes along, gives you another pill. It's not a toxic pill. It's not going to hurt your body pill, but you start taking it. But what happened is it wasn't going to help because it's not the pill you need. So you just got redirected off the medicine you need, and eventually, by not taking it, you will die. This is a life or death issue. This is, not, uh, this is a yoke you can't bear. Only Jesus will save us. And this is what the apostles were saying in this and why they were <clears throat> working so hard at this. So let me, let me just track this uh, story of the, of the debate and the council through just four aspects of it around this main point, that we're all saved by grace of God through faith in Christ, so we must not add a stomach block to anyone. <clears throat> so let's look at it in four, uh, as this debate unfolded in Jerusalem, four ways. First of all, notice the testimonies about the power of the gospel. Then we'll look at the teaching about the theology of the gospel. The third one, we'll look at the reaction to the, the theology of the gospel. And then finally, the irony of ministry in the gospel. The, there's an interesting irony that the story ends with. So first, the testimonies about the power of the gospel. So verse 4, you know, this delegation from Antioch, they arrived, they're welcome to the church. And Paul and Barnabas, they made their way. And as they were gone, they've been doing this this whole time. As they were making their way, they stopped in Phoenicia and Samaria. They're telling every church all about these conversions of the Gentiles. And Paul just finished his first missionary journey. I mean, there are already churches planted. There's elders appointed in each of these churches. It's amazing growth. And, and he's just telling the story as he goes. So he gets there, and he retells the story. And then Peter, Peter speaks, and Peter, Peter tells his story. That's what he saw at Cornelius' house. He saw a whole family come to Christ. And he saw the Holy Spirit come on them, just as he saw with the Jews in Jerusalem in Acts 2. So they're having all these testimonies, these stories about what God is doing. And basically, kind of making point, are you going to argue with God? He is rescuing a people. They are turning from idolatry to, the, to serve the living and true God. They're following Jesus. They're believing in his deity, that he is the Messiah, that he's the Lord, risen from the dead, and he's reigning on high. And that's what they're telling. They're, they're telling this, this story. But notice they hear from, the, from this group in verse 5 who repeat that they, that they, must, be, they must be circumcised. They must adhere to the Jewish customs. So... But that's, that's kind of the first point, is are the testimonies, the argument we have, what God is doing in the world. And then secondly, the teaching, the theology of the gospel. This leads to this point from James, the teaching of the theology of the gospel. In verse 12, the whole assembly became silent. You know, they were listening to the testimonies, the stories of what God's doing in around the world. And among the Gentiles, signs and wonders is what, what they're witnessing. And then James speaks. We see this in verse 15. And 
So Peter, who speaks, he really is representing the apostles. And then James, he's half-brother of Jesus. He's representing the elders of the church's leadership council down in Jerusalem. And so James is going to speak. And he speaks in verse 15, and he says this. The words of the prophets agree with this. The words of the prophets agree with this. this that is, the prophets agree with these stories, these testimonies of the power of the gospel that we've been hearing and seeing. And he goes on to quote from the prophet Amos. Now, he mentions the words of the prophets agree with this. He could have quoted from a variety of different prophets, Isaiah and Zechariah, but he chose to go to Amos. And that's where he's going to read from and quote from the prophet Amos. And just really, really important connection here. Do you see how important it is for this council to hear about the power of the gospel, changing lives, and the experience and conversions, and to correlate it to the Bible? See how they're doing? They're, they're hearing these stories, but then they're going to correlate it to what does God's word say? And that's what's governing James and his thing. And he's got really two goals here. First thing he wants us to know, God, not any human beings, chose the Gentiles for salvation. That's quoting scripture. He wants us to know this is, this is God's idea. And secondly, uh, it's important to know he predicted this long ago. This, this is not new. This is from long ago. So then he goes ahead and he quotes Amos, <clears throat> verse 16. After these sayings, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Ah, here we are, friends. We're the humanity that sought the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by name, my name declares the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. Amos is speaking back to the prophecy to David that he received from the prophet Nathaniel in 2 Samuel 7 about rebuilding who's going to build his, his dynasty. And we see some uh, partial fulfillment with King Solomon, David's son. But we also see even Amos is speaking of, a, of one who's going to come to rebuild, to establish, to bring this in. And that's the greater son of David, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And that's what James, that's what he's connecting Jesus to is the book of Amos, that he's the one who is going to bring in the full dynasty, an eternal dynasty of David's fallen tent. Jesus, James is making that point that Jesus is the one who will restore this. And it promises in that text, think of this, Amos has this in mind, a massive number of Gentiles come. He, he says the rest of humanity. He says all the Gentiles, meaning all, all of God's chosen people from the ends of the earth, they are going to come. This is promised long ago. That's how, that's how central, that, that's like a rock James is pivoting on just to teach us this thing. Now, just reflect for a minute what's going on this whole thing. So Acts 15 is a first time we've ever even seen a church council like this. <clears throat> I mean, the last time they had a conflict, they were casting lots or they were trying to make decisions. I mean, this one is debate, deliberation, scripture, prayer, talking, working it out, writing a letter. This council is profound, what they're doing right now. <clears throat> kind of set the stage for the early church that would write creeds and things like that. But you know, in the Bible, when is the next time we see such 
a gathering of churches, such a council in the Bible, when's the next time we see one? Not to the book of Revelation. And they're in heaven. <laughs> That's of every church is going to come together one day. And this is already prefiguring a time when all these churches are going to be gathered together and assembled as God's people, eternal home to live forever. That's a profound reality happening. <clears throat> and so God's plan is to save Jew and Gentile through the one Savior that he planned long ago, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it, we remember, it's always been possible for Gentiles to become proselytes in Judaism. But that's not what Amos is talking about here. <clears throat> He's not talking about them becoming Jewish. He's talking about them becoming in their own culture of every tongue and language and nation to reflect his purpose. So James concludes this in verse 19. Really important conclusion. He said, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Don't make it it's already difficult to believe the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Submit your life to him. He is God, and he died on the cross, and he rose again, and he, he's ascended. He's seated at the far as our hand. Believe the gospel. Trust in the gospel, as, we, as you see preached in the, in the sermons in Acts. But James is saying, but don't add anything to that. Don't make it difficult for them. Uh, maybe you know this experience as a parent of adult children. That, yeah, you, you have some essentials of the faith, but then all of a sudden you realize as a parent, actually, I got some other hobbies too <laughs> that I want my kids to believe, or some other ideas that I really want to get communicated. And actually, a lot of my identity might be in some of these things. <clears throat> and so what happens if they get conflated as a parent is I just confuse the gospel. I actually make it seem I'll accept you if you do yeah, Jesus plus all these things. See, we, we, we can unintentionally do this. We need to remind ourselves that we are saved by grace alone. That is the only requirement of, or the only um, <clears throat> way we're going to be saved. And not to be adding, not to create, make it harder for other people. Um, and notice the letter doesn't say, Jews, you need to stop circumcising. Jews, you got to stop this. He's not telling, he says, hey, if you guys want to keep circumcising your kids, go for it. Like he's not trying, they're not saying that in the letter. They're just saying, but don't put that on them that they have to become like that. Because this is God's international family and we're going to appreciate the variety. That's what's, that's what's being said here. <clears throat> now, James is a pastor, okay? He's, he's writing, he's a pastor in Jerusalem, um, he's an elder of the church. He's writing this letter. He does something really pastoral in this, in this approach. He's, he, he says this. <clears throat> he says, we're going to encourage them <clears throat> by not requiring circumcision. But we're going to say this. We're, we're going to write there, saved by grace alone. But then we're going to add four activities that they're to avoid. And he goes on, he lists, abstain from things like polluted by idols, sexual immorality, eating anything strangled, and blood. Now, I think one question you might have is, if circumcision is unnecessary for salvation, now we're saved by grace, then why does the Jerusalem Council give any restrictions at all? 
Martin Luther said, there's two ways you can fall off the gospel horse. Um, <clears throat> we can fall off the horse by adding to the gospel. You know, Jesus plus this, and then, I'm, then you'll be accepted by God. Jesus plus this. That's legalism. That's adding to the gospel. But you can also subtract from the gospel. Jesus minus his lordship. Jesus minus his over sovereign oversight of your whole life. So he's guarding this in this way. So by listing these areas of restrictions, he's aware of that these four activities were common in pagan temples at the time. So part of the Gentile conversion was to flee idolatry. And so because they, now Jesus is your God. There, is no, there are no other gods. And so part of this, part of the makeup of that, <clears throat> that pagan temple involved food, involved sexuality, involved idolatry. It was all kind of mixed together. So that's partly what's going on. But there's a second reason, too. He was also writing in such a way that he said, you know, and actually, like he said, Moses has read every Sunday or every Saturday <clears throat> in your towns, meaning their synagogues. And some of them are becoming Christians. So there's going to be fellowship with people who have a Jewish background. And you with a Gentile background, food is a big issue. So he's kind of helping them, saying, you know what? Uh, if you're having Jewish fellowship, don't major on these food things that you like or whatever. So there's also creating unity in the church around areas of conscience. So there's both the fleeing idolatry and then the food. So it's really pastorally just profound. It's kind of a, <clears throat> a neat way that he's communicating them to create unity in the church and moving forward. So... And, and the letter was written and sent to all the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So part of the council, they involved testimonies, stories of conversion. They argued for what God's doing through, through the conversions. And then, he, then they do a theological dive, you know, and they write the letter. And James does his study in Amos and writes his letter. But notice this third point I want to bring up. How did they react? What was the reaction? To this. So the letter was read, and it says, the third point, the reaction was the celebration of the gospel. <clears throat> These unsanctioned believers from the party of the Pharisees disturbed the Gentiles, and they read this letter, and they're glad. They're rejoicing. And who couldn't rejoice at the grace of God, the gospel? You see, Christians were under grace, were free from the yoke of slavery. This whole message, this whole missionary group was putting them under a yoke of fear. Imagine that. I mean, yeah, circumcision, but then what else is there? Would I ever be enough? Would I ever measure up? And then, and then there's going to be this law and this law and, and this dietary restriction and this, all to be accepted by God. That's what they were going to be living under had they succeeded. But when they wrote this letter, they realized, oh, we are under the grace. We are free from the yoke of slavery, and they're glad. They rejoice. How, and that really tests. Do you understand the gospel? If we're not joyful about the gospel, what are we going to be joyful about? God's grace, unmerited favor for undeserving sinners? No work of ours? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved? Hallelujah. That's why we were singing these songs today. Matter of fact, when you look at all the hymnody of the church, it's it's always an awe of the grace of God. Constantly, all these 
All these phrases about God's grace, unmerited favor, <clears throat> that grace saves us from the penalty of sin, releases us from a life of sin, and will ultimately remove sin forever. And just its joy, endless joy, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <clears throat> so that's our third point about they celebrate the gospel. And then finally, let me just close with the irony of how the last verses I read, the irony of the ministry of the gospel, irony of gospel ministry. I'm talking about the ending of chapter 15. So the irony is that it's a situation that is so different from what you'd expect, it almost feels or seems incongruent <laughs> to what we just studied. After a council of seeking unity, here, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement and split up. After a council of seeking unity, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement and split up. They have now two mission teams going in this. And Barnabas probably was right, because later Paul wrote in one of his letters, oh, bring John Mark. We need him. <laughs> so, But the second story, too, after a council of fighting that circumcision is not necessary for salvation, what does Paul do with Timothy? Has him circumcised. <clears throat> Must have been on the missionary application. <laughs> We're going to be ministering to Jews, and I know you're like 20 years old, but we got to get this done. Everyone knows your dad was a Greek, and part of our ministry is in synagogues. And so for the sake of the gospel ministry, he was willing to flex. <laughs> so notice Paul... Paul knows the gospel. I mean, he, he's dying on that hill of Christ alone. We're saved by grace alone. But when it came to ministering the gospel, wow, is he flexible. <laughs> he was adapting to each culture, each people, and he told Timothy, you're going to be circumcised. Now, interesting, another one of his pastors that he found, um, started up was Titus. Titus, he said, don't get circumcised. So Titus never got circumcised, but Timothy was because of their ministry. And it's a great reminder what the gospel means. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, to the Jew, I become a Jew. Which is funny for him to say that because he was Jew. But he said, to the Jew, I become a Jew so that I might win Jews. To the Gentiles, become like a Gentile, I might win Gentiles. He was so gripped, he wanted to do everything possible to save some people. With this free offer of the gospel. Sorry with the free offer of the gospel, justified by grace. He's, he's free in Christ, and he can move with the culture, and he can appreciate what's going on. And this was, the, <clears throat> was just a profound ministry that was created. In the early 1700s in Sri Lanka, under the rule of the British Empire, some missionaries were involved, along with merchants and others who came to Sri Lanka but these, there was a group of missionaries that thought the best way to bring this country to some uniformity was to make them follow Christian standards that they had adopted in Britain. So they actually, it was a rogue group, because there were good missionaries too that were there, but this, this one group of missionaries had this has a law. They passed it. They agreed, with the government, they agreed with the government of Britain. So this was written in 1711 in Sri Lanka. A law was passed that said this. Christians participating, talking about Sri Lankan Christians, Christians participating in cultural ceremonies would be liable to a public whipping and imprisonment in irons for one year. <laughs> that was how they thought we're going to minister the gospel in Sri Lanka. Wow, did they need 
Acts 15 and the Apostle Paul and the gospel, they lost the gospel. That group of people lost the gospel. <clears throat> they didn't realize they, they could have appreciated the culture. They could have, um, like Hudson Taylor is another better story. But this is not what the Apostle Paul would do. Paul would adapt his preferences and speak in a language using even their culture to point them to Christ. And so it's possible for us. And, but this is a freedom we have in Christ. It's possible for us to make these kind of mental mistakes. And this is why we're reading this chapter, to be renewed again in the grace of God. God is always satisfied with the work of Christ. You can't add to it. God is always satisfied with what Christ has done. He is enough for everyone. So let's hang on to that and love that, rejoice in that, tell that story, see that bear fruit in the old world for his glory, and then have us not add any stumbling block to anyone. We don't want to make it more difficult. People, let's preach the real heart of the gospel and love that as, a, as God's people. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your goodness to us, your grace to us. You open our eyes to see great things. Not anything we've done, Lord, but just you alone, because you are God and you're kind. Thank you for your covenant of love that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all of your people and all who <clears throat> believe him. You give them the right to become children of God. It's all of grace, not by works. No one can boast here. We've been saved all by your mercy. Nothing in us, Lord. And that's good news for the whole world. And we love that, Lord. So we thank you for... Uh, what we learned today, may it go deep in our, our mind and heart in Christ Jesus. Amen.